0: $740 a year when using all of the app's features. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash morning cup. That's rocketmoney.com slash morning cup. Rocketmoney.com slash morning cup. Today's podcast is brought to you by newspapers.com, the ultimate destination for exploring the mysteries of the past. If you're fascinated by true crime, get ready to dive into the stories that made headlines. Newspapers.com offers a billion pages of historical newspapers from the U.S. and beyond, and you can search the entire collection in seconds. Their vast newspaper collection is a goldmine for eyewitness accounts, crime scene photos, news reports, and more. Whether you're interested in famous crimes or long-forgotten cases, Newspapers.com gives you a front-row seat to more than 300 years of history. For our listeners, Newspapers.com has a special offer. Use the code CUPOFMURDER for an exclusive 20% 20% discount on your subscription. That's promo code cupofmurder at newspapers.com. Sign up today and start unraveling the true crime mysteries that keep you up at night. There were two more murders 15 miles away. When police at least arrived, arrived. They found the telephones up. and electricity lines. We have a weird homicide. A scene described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird... Morning. Cup of murder... One can only hope that, when a foster family takes in a young child, they will be the kind and caring parental figures needed. This, we know, is not always the case. On February 15, 1997, a young girl was brutally killed in the backyard of the home she was living in with her foster family. A case that, though it seemed like there was an obvious answer, remains unsolved in the eyes of many. So, if you like your coffee hot, but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. Billie Jo Margaret Jenkins was born on March 29th, 1983, and brought up originally in the eastern part of London. However, when her father was imprisoned, her mother, unable to cope with single motherhood, placed Billie Jo in foster care at the age of nine, where she went to live with Sion and Louise Jenkins. Coincidentally, having the same last name as their foster daughter, the Jenkins already had four daughters of their own in Hastings. And when Billy Joe arrived, they placed her in the Helenswood School, where by all accounts, she seemed to thrive. However, according to friends and the Jenkins children, Sion was a particularly violent man who favored corporal punishment. And on one occasion, Billy Joe confided in friends that he had punched her, scratched her neck, And when she came to school with blood on her face, she said that he slammed and held her up against the door after she told him to stop smacking the dog. The girl described as a fun-loving child who dreamed of becoming an actor was the same girl who often showed up to school with bruises on her arms and legs, and according to a family friend, was once kicked aggressively in her already sprained ankle by her foster father on a vacation in France. Living with the Jenkins family for almost five years, Billy Joe's anger and hatred towards her father only got worse by the day. But unfortunately, there didn't seem to be a way out for the young girl because, on the surface, Sion Jenkins was a well known and liked deputy head teacher of a local boys' comprehensive school. A job he obtained, it would later be revealed, by lying about his qualifications and continued to lie in order to move up to the head of the school, a job he was expected to start fairly soon. That good reputation, however, was completely blown to pieces when, in February of 1997, a horrific event took place inside the Jenkins' home that thrust them and their foster daughter into the media spotlight. On February 15, 1997, Sion and Louise argued over Billy Joe. According to the sources, Sion came home from a trip and asked that Billy Joe turn down her music. She allegedly refused, and he grew angry over her disobedience. At the time, she had been outside painting patio doors and, according to Sion, had made a, quote, mess. Shortly after this heated argument, 13-year-old Billy Joe's body was found lying in the back garden of the family home. She had been beaten over the head with an iron tent peg a total of five times and died within minutes of her brutal assault. When police arrived at the scene, they immediately asked the girl's foster father, Sion Jenkins, to make a public appeal for help solving the case. But shortly thereafter, he became a suspect in the murder after police and Louise realized that he was the last person to see the young victim alive that day and was the first adult to find her body. According to what he told the police, Sion, after fighting with Billy Joe, got into his car and drove to pick up his two biological daughters from clarinet practice. Billy Joe had stayed home to finish painting those patio doors in order to earn a little extra money, and according to the claims, that tent peg had been left outside in the garden earlier in the day by one of the other Jenkins children. Arriving home, Sion's daughters waited in the car while he ran inside for a few minutes. He then took them to a nearby DIY store, yet took no money with him, and for reasons unknown, decided to drive around a nearby park in a circle before taking an extended route back home. When they finally returned, he found Billy Joe lying in a pool of blood on the back patio. Finding his movements and behavior rather erratic, like the fact that the first thing he did after finding the body wasn't to call the police, but to go back to his car and close the roof of his convertible, allegedly as a means to explain how blood could have ended up in the car. Police theorized that, during that quick trip back into his home, the one where the girls stayed outside in the car, Sion ran into the back garden, picked up that tent peg, and beat his foster daughter to death for disobeying him. He then got back into the car, claimed he went to the shop to buy some more white spirit, despite already having some in his garage, and went to the DIY store in order to provide himself with an alibi. Hence the alternate route home as well. And not only did he delay in calling 999, only doing so when a neighbor came out and told him to, Sion also refused to place the young girl in the recovery position or check if she was still breathing like the operator instructed. When asked if she was still taking breaths, he responded, I don't know. I haven't looked. Police believe that the reason he didn't need to check her breathing or her pulse was because he already knew that she was dead, having taken her life himself. In addition to his strange behavior, police found a total of 158 microscopic spots of blood on Sion's clothing. When tested, it was determined to belong to Billy Joe. Though he claimed the attack must have been committed by an unknown stranger, police found it hard to believe that some intruder broke into the garden, found the weapon, and killed Billy Joe during the same 10 minutes that Sion Jenkins was away, and escaped without anyone nearby noticing. Unable to keep his story straight when questioned officially, changing it to a version closer to the truth only when he realized that his two daughters were with him and would be able to give statements of their own, On February 24th, 1997, he was officially arrested and charged with Billy Joe's murder on March 14th. Sion Jenkins' trial began in 1998 and saw the prosecution presenting the blood-stained clothing as their primary piece of evidence against the victim's foster father. With forensic scientists reportedly telling police that the pattern of blood was consistent with an impact spatter, expert witnesses testified that the appearance and distribution of the blood suggested that the attacker was indeed Sion Jenkins. The defense, however, brought forth their own expert witnesses to refute the claims, and Sion himself said they appeared on his clothing as a result of his attempt to help the young victim. However, if this were true, there would have been similar stains found on both the paramedics or the neighbor who arrived at the scene and tried to save Billy Joe no blood was found on any of their clothing. While the defense continued to try and theorize where the blood came from, even saying that it might have sprayed onto their client when Billy Joe breathed out her last breath, something experts called wholly unrealistic, Sion took the stand and told jurors that his foster daughter was disobedient, impatient, and would, quote, simply destroy items of clothing or her herself ripping the heads off of dolls. If she was asked to do something, she might not do it. And if she did something, she might become impatient. The court also heard about the uncovered lies Sion used to get his current job and the, quote, considerable stress he was under trying to make sure the fabrications were never discovered. In the end, on July 2nd, 1998, Sion Jenkins was found guilty and sentenced to life imprisonment. Deemed a danger to the community, the judge also revealed that Sion had been additionally charged with, quote, obtaining pecuniary advantage by deception in regards to his lies when applying for his job. This, however, was not the end of his story. Shortly after the conviction, Sion Jenkins appealed, claiming that the blood did, in fact, get on his clothing when Billy Joe breathed out as she died. Though the experts at the first trial denied such a theory, Sion wasn't the only person claiming his innocence. After his appeal was denied, investigative journalist Bob Wuffenden, believing this was a grave miscarriage of justice, took up the cause and began investigating the case on his own. Then the Criminal Case Review Commission got involved, and with a witness claiming the bloodstains could have resulted from a rare condition in which gases might have built up in Billy Joe's lungs, and caused her to breathe out blood involuntarily with enough force to cause the spatter pattern, they referred the case back to the Court of Appeals in 2004, and they ordered a new trial. Sion was released on bail, and in 2005, made his way back to the courtroom for a second shot at his innocence. Hearing this theory again, the jury was unable to come to a majority verdict after 39 hours of deliberation, and a second retrial was ordered told their job was to determine if the blood got onto Sian's clothing during the attack or when he discovered her body, the jury heard evidence from his biological children that suggested he, quote, preferred Billy Joe to them and insinuated a sexual or flirtatious nature to their relationship. This trial, like the last, failed to reach a majority verdict after three months of evidence. And on February 9th, 2006, Sion Jenkins was declared in consequence to be acquitted. No further retrials were ordered, and he became the first man in British criminal history to be acquitted after being tried three times for the same crime. In total, the legal process for this case cost an estimated 10 million pounds. 700 witnesses were taken in by the police. Jurors spent 36 days deliberating across all three trials and Sion spent 11 days in the witness box giving evidence. He was released from prison, moved to Hampshire with his new wife, and enrolled in a criminology course at the University of Portsmouth. He has since been denied compensation on the grounds that, while he was not found guilty during the retrials, there was still no evidence to prove his innocence. Everything seemed to work out for Sion Jenkins, That was until the public learned that at no time during the trials did the jury hear from his first wife, who described him as a violent man who beat both her and her children. Claiming he once hit her so hard that he perforated her eardrum, many believed that if this information was given during the trial, then maybe the jury would have made a different decision. In fact, Sion publicly denied ever hurting his children to the press to which they responded that he was a liar and often used corporal punishment during their childhood. It was also learned that during the final retrial, the judge made the decision to disallow new forensic evidence, which allegedly showed that the bloodstains found on Sion's clothing also contained small fragments of Billy Joe's bones and flesh which would completely disprove the claims the blood got onto the fabric during her last breath. There was also evidence conducted by the University of Cambridge that there were pieces of metal in those bloodstains that matched the tent peg, but because the evidence was allegedly admitted too late for the defense to respond, none of it could be admitted into the trial. Those who still believe Sion Jenkins was indeed an innocent man point to a mentally ill man allegedly seen in the street near where the Jenkins lived at the time. He was taken into custody but considered unable to be questioned. Believing that he might be a potential suspect and Billy Joe's real killer, the courts rejected the claim, finding no evidence to prove it. The man also had a confirmed alibi, but according to the sources, Billy Joe did complain that she believed that she was being followed by someone and had been since around Christmas time. Describing the man as white in his 40s or 50s and always wearing a leather jacket, the description allegedly matched a man seen staring intently at the Jenkins family home from a nearby park. Could this alleged stalker really be the killer? If so, why did Sion Jenkins act so strangely before and after Billy Joe's death? And how really did that blood spatter get onto his clothing? The answers are still unknown, and the case, in the eyes of many, remains unsolved. In January of 2022, it was announced the police were re-examining the forensic evidence. But as far as I can tell, this is the last known update on the Billy Joe Jenkins case. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to a terrible thing happened on February 16th. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe.